The idea that a character can basically stop what they're doing and look at you and then whisk you off for a private performance that's just for you is powerful. I recall vividly and viscerally my first one-on-one. -on -one. This sort of being seen is in contrast to how we are all connected via phones or via socials. This idea is interesting and disruptive. We like to debate about what is immersive and what isn't immersive. And I honestly don't know that any of that matters. I think it is a fiction looking at you. All ideas beget other ideas. I want to make work that authentically knows people. We need to add three helicopter chases here. Because of the sort of headspace that they had put me in, I honestly thought for a full like minute that I was about to be abducted. I like ideas like that. I like ideas where you have no idea where the fiction ends. Hi. I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. To recap, last week we left off. Jeremy had gotten a call from a local bar beer garden asking him to produce a Halloween season show for their upstairs space. They had a month to make this show, The Rabbit Cage, come together. We talk about this adventure in creation and how one could layer experiences together in the Make It Immersive segment. Jeremy tells us about an experience he had with Sleep No More and another where he was momentarily and thrillingly convinced he was about to be abducted into an experience. Finally, Jeremy talks about the power of being seen and what could happen when an experience is bold enough to stretch the boundary of entertainment. The ideas that make the foundation of what we do when we create or go out to an immersive experience are becoming more common. The language of immersive is beginning to be adopted because whether you're designing a set, a workplace, a school, or your living room, it applies. If you're listening to this, you're witnessing the edge of what is likely a profound shift and the way our culture thinks about shaping the world around us. And no matter what happens, there's one thing we can be sure about for the future of immersive experience. 2020 is gonna be wild. Enjoy. We get a call from a bar here in town uh, called Axelrad in Houston, which we like a lot. And they are like, hey, we have an upstairs area. We usually do a haunted house every year. I'm familiar with your work. Would you come and produce a piece upstairs for all the weekends of October? And, you know, I've, I am in transition, making a move out West. Um, I actually had started a sublet uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I was planning to be out there <laughs> quite a bit. And so I called a couple of friends in town who I've collaborated with on a, on some pieces. And I said, look, I, would like to make this piece, but I know that I can't make it without your help. And would you be interested in, would you be interested in sort of filling in the hole of me sort of being in and out of town a lot? And all three of them, uh, Rebecca Herpin, uh, Robert Lynn, Peter Zama, they all agreed to, to get on board. And, and then I, we just started sort of working on it. And within 30 days, we, had the piece in a place and then we started, you know, rehearsing and running it and put it up and it had like a really nice 
four weekend run here in Houston. It was really fun. Wow, a month on the turnaround time though. That that's thoroughly impressive. That must have been quite the scramble to get it up and rolling. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like a month is enough time to do a thing. Um, it's not, and I and I think that the 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 piece. Uh, I, I don't want to poop on my own piece, but the piece, like any piece, uh, has deficiencies. And it was great to have the sort of the four week run to sort of fill in gaps and to give actors a room to move. And we, we lean heavily on the collaboration with every person on the creative team. And so it's, it's everything we do is a conversation. Everything we do um, on the rabbit cage is, is sort of devised work where we sit in a room and we, we are living within a framework, but we're discovering details together. And, and that, you know, that has proven to me to be some of my, uh, maybe the, my favorite part of the creative process is sitting down with collaborators and uh, exploring and experimenting. Uh, like I said, I, I came out of uh, improv. Was my primary performance training is improv. Uh, I have a music degree and I was a voice major, so I have some training in singing that was from college. But from from acting or stuff i it's it's all from improv so this group work this exploratory this yes anding um if this is true then this is true and that's that's a kind of a joyous part of the project um i'm a pretty social person and i'm a I'm pretty good listener and want to stay open to ideas and also want to keep us within a framework so i, I do a pretty good job of that and I enjoy that process. I enjoy the process of sitting down with performers or collaborators or artists and having one-on-one conversations that are wide-reaching or are very, very creative and um, trying to stay open to ideas, but stay open to ideas that are executable versus, you know, like, hey, we need to add three helicopter chases here. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> We'd like to, but we can't. Yeah, That sounds great, but... <laughs> <laughs> this time around well i mean I, I i celebrate like big ideas and and i think that uh, in my experience all ideas beget other ideas and so you know the idea in itself isn't an obligation to execute that idea but it lives in a space and says oh we have a hunger to make this happen but what is sort of like that or what is sort of uh, analogous to that and these converse these conversations are really exciting and encouraging to have and uh, based off, you know, production limitations, time frame, money, uh, talent level, uh, supplies or resources. Like, oh, well, we can't do this. I, we had an idea. So this is a spoiler. Spoiler. Um, in, in the rabbit cage, there is a segment of the piece where you're interviewed on camera. And unbeknownst to the patron, that interview is also being streamed. Not online. It's being not streamed is the wrong word then. It's also being fed to like kind of the final waiting area. And so you've pushed out of the experience and then all of a sudden you see the person behind you, oftentimes someone you came with, uh, now being interviewed and, you know, there's a television and there's the audio and people are sort of gathered around listening to your answers. And uh, which I think we could have a long conversation about the ethics of that choice, which I enjoy. But I, <laughs> I... Uh, this this li- this is lives in an idea of us um, wanting to have 
it was just came from a series of conversations. What we wanted to have is we wanted to have feeds for all uh, in this experience. There are six rooms. We wanted to have feeds from all six rooms in the space, but we didn't have the resources to do that. Uh, and it also sort of felt overkill once we sort of talked about the idea. But then we, we in in the big idea that we couldn't execute because of of really because of resources and money. I didn't want to buy four televisions. And uh, we, we came to this other idea that was a lot more practical and actually a lot more tasteful and, and a lot more interesting. So, you know, I, li- I like that process. I like this sort of devised development with, with uh, all the collaborators. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I'm wondering if now might be a good time to, if you're willing, segue into the Make It Immersive segment. Sounds great. Talk to me about Make It Immersive this segment. So uh, this is where we take the aforementioned um, David Lynch world, or we can just go straight for what your version of the Festival of Disruption might look like and play with the idea of what it would look like to bring that world to life. Okay, yeah, let's do that. I'm excited about this question. Uh, I, you know, I think that the, the vast catalog of David Lynch work could live in sort of a maybe possibly a meow wolf-esque uh kind of universe where because it's it's not i don't think that you know because you you could include david lynch's uh art you can include you include so much of he, he works in a lot of media so medium so it's it could be a ton of things i, I feel like that's sort of a, a bigger more complicated project so i want to like pivot to talk about what I think Festival of Disruption should be like. Let's do it. So I think, I think that, you know, there's, hmm. so I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of disruptive technology. Uh, For example, Uber is the disruptive uh, technology to uh, taxi cabs or rental cars and things like Airbnb are the disruptive ideas to hotels and I think if you're talking about a festival of disruption, then everything that is included in that festival uh, should aim to either experiment or disrupt uh, modern conventions. And I just think that if it's a celebration of sort of David Lynch's past work, then it's not a festival of disruption. It's more of a museum or if it's more of an homage and I get that, but David Lynch's work when it came out and as it comes out was and is disruptive. It is challenging. Uh, you know, these, these ideas, these scenes, this kind of storytelling is very, was very disruptive to kind of mainstream conventions of filmmaking. And I think that, uh, there are many, many, many other, um, uh, filmmakers or artists or musicians or that make disruptive work. And I think that there is a, uh, a parallel between sort of immersive mechanics, you know, and, and I, I want to, I want to deviate a little bit from the conversation to say that I don't, I think that immersive is just a new word for uh, a style of experimental theater. You know, I think that the, I think that immersive work is basically just experimental theater and uh, we, we like the word immersive and we, we like to debate about what is immersive and what isn't immersive. And, you know, well, immersive is 
the audience has agency or immersive is that the whole universe is around you. And I honestly don't know that any of that matters in terms of what we call immersive work. But leaning into the word immersive work, I think immersive work and the, and the mechanics and the conventions that are being devised that are modern or being borrowed from the past are, are disruptive. I think uh, just the device of putting an audience in masks is, is disruptive to sitting in a chair and, and having the anonymity of, of sitting in chair. This idea that now you're mobile, uh, but you still have your anonymity in a mask and sleep no more is sort of a, a disruptive choice and an interesting choice. And I mean, I recall vividly and viscerally my first one-on-one whenever the matron in the hut took my mask off and how absolutely vulnerable and almost embarrassed I was just in, in the same way that if I was at a show and, and someone running the spot moved it over to me sitting in my chair and saying, Hey dude, (laughs) we're all looking at you. It, it, it felt like that. It felt like I was on the hot seat. Oh my word. Yeah. I, I think that, um, I think that the curators of that festival uh, could stand to to seek work that's that's more disruptive. There was a festival here in Houston that's a little bit uh, it's got sort of a scandalous story connected to it that's not really super important to go into, but it's called Day for Night, and it was a a, mu- a music festival run by uh, people who had made other music festivals. But in addition to it, it was an art installation festival, and it was massive and I'd never been and still to this day uh, only thing that had been sort of similar to that was the new frontier experiences at Sundance and that I had I've gone to Sundance a bunch of times as a volunteer which I recommend I would recommend this to your viewers if you want to go to Sundance volunteer sign up for volunteers it's a very inexpensive way to experience the whole 10 days of the festival it's wonderful so anyway but they have a section called new frontier that celebrates challenging uh, conventions and storytelling uh, you you see a lot of, of of these things happen there, but this was on a much broader scale for a much larger audience to come through at day for night. So there had I forget how many people they had attend the festival, but you you have to put in installations that can accommodate tens of thousands of people, and so these installations were just grand and elaborate, and it was a lot of like lasers and lights and stuff, uh, and you know and and sound, sound and light and laser things. And you sort of see new businesses sort of that pop up that, that celebrate this kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to remember the thing uh, that's in San Francisco that sort of is a celebration of technological immersive art um, and work. I know that there's a, a nonprofit there called gray area that does that kind of work. Anyway, I'm meandering, but I, I would like, I don't know if I can get into like specifics of of what I would want the festival disruption to be, but I would like to not know what is fiction and what is other patrons. I would like to step into a universe that really, really blurs the line where you're not really sure what is real or what is fake. Yeah, and in so many ways, it just makes sense to have an experience that is, oh, hey, you have all these different experiences that are disruptive in one way or the other that you can go and go and participate in and go and be a guest in. And then the idea of coming out of that and then still having the setting itself being its own thing, being 
another experience in and of itself being like, I really don't know to what degree the in-between spaces are just in-between spaces of function or something that is actually delivering another bit of an experience, another bit of narrative. I think that could be absolutely extraordinary. You know, I think it's a little off topic, but I had something happen to me in April. I've gone to sleep no more a bunch of times and uh, I don't know if it's, um, it's somewhere between maybe 25 and 40 times. I, I, I don't, haven't I'm not like a counter, oh, but I've, wow, I've been yeah. a lot, I guess is what I'm saying. I've been, I've been many, many times. And I, I mentioned earlier my, my first one-on-one experience with the matron in the hut in, you know, through the hedge maze of sleep no more. And if you're a, a dork like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. That I, I have seen the actor who, who played that part. And I'm not going to say her name because there are a lot of actors who play that part, but I've seen the actor play a lot of roles in the piece. And the, in April, I went, and this particular performer was playing uh, in the Mandalay Bar, like one of the two characters that live in in the bar and sort of usher people into the space and, uh, and mingle with them afterwards. Well, after Sleep No More, I, I walked up to her, and I, I let her know uh, that I deeply appreciated her work and that, that she had endeared me to this universe. And then I went to the bar and got a bourbon, and I drank it. A few minutes, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes later, I get a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and it's just the same performer. And, and she expressed a tremendous amount of gratitude uh, for, for the compliment. And we sat, and we had a drink, and surprisingly, we went to a diner, and we had dinner. And this is not, <laughs> this is not a reasonable hour. So it's like 2 or 3 in the morning where – um, and, and then we parted ways and, and, and I, and I never heard from her again. And, uh, uh, and I, and I think there's something like, it may be like, was it romantic or did you hit on her? Wasn't romantic. I did not hit on her. Um, I have a really kind of clear understanding of working with performers and someone who's playing a character is not that person's personality. You know, like I, I get it. I, I make, I produce stuff, work with talent. Um, and I also really respect those sort of professional boundaries. But what I wanted to be true and what I still want to be true is for our after show experience <laughs> to have been part of the Sleep No More universe. Uh, that that may be like a weird thing to want, but I, I wanted like the reasons for her to have uh, come out to me in street clothes and go have dinner to me to sort of live within the sleep no more universe in, in some sort of weird tangential way. So where it's like, Oh, even this is fiction, you know? And, um, and maybe that says more about the fantasy I'd like to live in than it does about what the work needs to be. But I, I like ideas like that. I like ideas where, where you don't, you have no idea where the fiction ends. You have no idea that this is real or this is not real or scripted, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And that once again, just makes a lot of sense because I mean, walking out of sleep no more, like what else do you want? But for a can con- a continuation of that world, like what more do you want than 
just the the check-in to be like, oh, hey, you came out of this fantasy world, but you didn't really. Because you take that with you when you walk out of Sleep No More or any other really well-put-together immersive experience. That feeling that, oh, hey, I'm back in the real world, but at the same time, your brain is still kind of in in the world that you just came out of. And something to be able to add to that, to supplement, to tie the real world to the fictional world in the way that you're already feeling is would be absolutely phenomenal. I um, Blackout, the guys from Blackout made a piece called 21, and it was something where essentially you give them your phone number uh, and your contact info, your email and whatnot. And they, you go through a multi-day experience where you're kind of called at all hours of the night and recordings tell you, give you sort of quests to complete. And one of these moments was to wake up at uh, 5 a.m. and go out. And there's a bunch of quests. And the quests are all like psychologically weird. Uh, blackout. And I, you, know, you go out to the street and wait on the side of the road uh, in front of your house or in front of your place. So I did this. And as soon as I got to the curb, this cargo van like screeches to a halt at the stop sign, which is right next to my house. And it, and it hangs a left toward me and toward my house. And it's not, it's, it's not going slow. It's not driving like uh, somebody who just woke up at five in the morning. It's like, it's reckless. And it, and it terrified me. I was like, these guys, these guys are going to get out and bag me and throw me in this van. (laughs) And and there's no way that they, the van was in on it. Uh, But the idea, the, the hope or the, the imagination that, you layer into or that you project onto real life experiences is really powerful. And, uh, and the van, you know, was some sort of weird delivery van and like pulled up to a house and threw out like a stack of papers and peeled out and, and, and went on its way, had nothing to do with 21, but because of the sort of headspace that they had put me in, I honestly thought for a full like minute that I was about to be abducted into this, into this show. And, uh, I, and I wanted that. I was, that again may say more about me than it does about the work, but I was like, that's awesome. I, I really like that. There's a name for it that I, that, that I forget where you, you, you kind of interpret everything as part of the fictional universe. Um, I, I should remember that because of, of, I make this kind of work, but I don't. (laughs) Fair enough. So speaking to the idea of disruptive techniques in, in immersive and in storytelling and in just the creation of media overall, um, is there anything in particular that you're excited about in the immersive world coming up, whether it's a specific show or more generally a tactic or a technique um, which to some degree we just kind of touched on and went through a bit, but is there anything else that comes to mind that you're like, oh, this, this opens a whole new door for what immersive could be? Well, I, hmm. yeah, I, 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 I sigh there for a second, not because I don't have thoughts, but because I, I hesitate to share them. I think I have some ideas enough, about work enough. that I think, I think I'm going to be experimenting with next year. And I think that there are some ethical questions that I have about these ideas. Um, 
but I, I will I will list them out because I I think or list at least one out because I, I I think I think it is disruptive and I think it is interesting. Um, I like the idea of a show or a production team that truly knows the people who participate, the patrons who participate or the players or however you view um, patrons that truly knows them, knows them individually, knows them by name, knows their dreams, knows their personality and, and creates experiences that are designed to help or heal or support them in their life, in their efforts. And, and, and I, and I, I, I mentioned the caveat, I prefaced it by saying that there are ethical, there are ethical issues here. Um, and I, I think there are, you know, there are people who have like started their immersive work by making the patrons fill out a 14 page application full of very, very personal information. And, um, and in my experience, some of these, uh, well, this production company in particular that started their piece like this, were, were deeply unethical in how they utilized that that information. And uh, uh, and and I think that I, I, I like to I want to make work that helps people. I want to make work that authentically knows people. And. And I, I like this idea. I think this idea is interesting and disruptive uh, in the sense that it's not entertainment for entertainment's sake. It's more like entertainment for human development's sake. And and I, th- I think I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I'm not even a therapist. Um, it would require thought, and it would require expertise, and it would require vetting um, but I think there's a lot of power in being known. And this, this you know, if I'm going to get personal, um, this idea or these thoughts come from uh, my upbringing. Um, a, a divorced mom and dad. Dad was absentee and not great when he was present. And mom was very, very busy uh, working and, uh, you know, keeping me active and, and uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of people giving me actual guidance in life and a lot of ways in which I've found myself uh, in my present profession and my present position uh, is through trial and error and, frankly, mostly error. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that my buddy asked me to produce his, his short film, you know, in 2001 and, you know, we did it, but I did a terrible job um, and learned a lot through all of those errors. And I just, I find that I, I have a very good colleague who described me as lattice once and she, she described me as lattice and I think lattice is pretty ugly. Um, But lattice is a tremendous support system for other plants and for like it holds other things up and i have literally there's a lattice fence that surrounds my house and it is full of varietals of vines and uh, different uh, plant life 
and you know some in you know honeysuckle and juniper. So it's very beautiful kind of stuff, and um, and I like that description. And I think a lot of my work as a producer and as a creator is about, and even in my process in terms of devised work, is about lifting up other people's ideas and and working together to um, sort of vet what's going to be the most effective. And so I, I'm inspired by this idea of a of of a piece, you know, then there's a, there's another piece that I, that I've heard didn't get to go to. Um, it was in, uh, I think it was in LA and I think it may have done it again in New York, but it was called the, the Cho show. And it's that artist. Um, and he made a bunch of money off of a Facebook sculpture, I think. And then he created this really elaborate immersive piece that did a tremendous job of very much knowing individually the people who came to the show in a way that was like empowering to them. And I'd like to make work like that. That kind of idea feels disruptive and interesting to me. And I, uh, yeah, I have other ideas, but I, I, I don't necessarily want to like throw those out there, but yeah, no, um, no, that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Is that, I don't know that that, oh, that makes-, makes sense or connects to work that you're aware of or you understand. That makes complete sense. I have had the opportunity to speak with a lot of creators who have either had that kind of sentiment in the back of their mind or have explicit expressed some version of that um, more, more explicitly. There is a lot of that mentality that I feel like is echoing around the edges of the immersive world right now. And I think that's because there is something so powerful about it and so potentially transformative about it that it almost just seems like in a lot of ways, a logical conclusion of what immersive can be. It's like, Oh, Hey, we can create these incredible pieces of entertainment, but what if we could also do that? And at the same time, do something incredibly constructive for those who participate. I think that, what I mean for 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 a cross section of people who enjoy attending immersive work, there are those who are titillated or excited by the idea that the piece or the characters in the piece can, to a degree, look at them and engage with them. I think that this makes like the one-on-one experiences that Blackout creates truly unique. I think that the one-on-one experiences that happen in Sleep No More, like the idea that a character can basically stop what they're doing and look at you and then whisk you off to a private space for a private performance that's just for you, is powerful. I think this this sort of being seen is, is in contrast to how we are all connected via phones or via socials. I think it it is a fiction looking at you it is a person seeing you and engaging with you and i think there's there's something like and i don't think for everybody there, there are many many people who love immersive work because they get to be a voyeur and that's also great and also a power to consider when you're creating uh but this other cross-section who crave to be seen or who who are like i said titillated by that um, I think an expansion of that idea is 
pretty exciting to me personally. I know that when I made the alternate reality game, especially the first time around, uh, Madison Atkins 1.0, I had to, because of time constraints, play Madison, a 19-year-old college girl, um, online. I had to, and, and, and back then it was, she had a MySpace page and she was in IRC uh, in chat. And anytime she was in chat, I was playing Madison. I was typing and I was, you know, I had written the script, so I had the voice down and all that kind of stuff. But I grew to really care about <laughs> the people who engaged with the game. And many of them are, are friends uh, to this day or became friends after this production and are friends to this day, which is crazy. But I, I Madison really had a lot of power in their lives and a lot of influence in, in their lives. You know, the, the mechanic of being friends with Madison was put in so people could dictate where the plot goes or what Madison or how Madison interacts with the plot. But on the other hand, it really is a two way road where people are all, all bringing their present in, into the experience. They're bringing their breakups or their frustrations with friends or their successes and uh, their funny stories. And uh, because it's so communal, the alternate reality game kind of experience the character really did have, you know, the ability to comfort. And, and I think that is like, I think in part that is kind of stuck with me and, uh, and, and feels, feels interesting to explore. Yeah. Yeah. It is the, our imaginations fabricate our reality and doing that with intention via immersive as a medium that that is an incredibly potent and meaningful bridge. I agree. And I think that that might be a really great place to, to wrap the show for now. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Nathaniel, this has been really a lot of fun and I love talking about the work and, uh, I think you asked some pretty incredible questions and, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jeremy. Um, I also feel like this conversation was absolutely extraordinary. And for everybody listening, of course, you can find everything that we've mentioned in the show at immersionnation.com slash podcast. And until next time, thank you for listening. So a brief note before we take off here, you can find Jeremy Barber's work at dinolion.com, Dinolion. If you're poking around the interwebs, you can check out Dinolion on Facebook or Instagram, which again, I would highly recommend. And this idea of being known by not just a character, but by a fictional world, by a piece of fiction, is powerful. What this can do for you as a guest of an immersive experience is profound. It can be cathartic, beautifully mind-bending, and it has the incredible potential to shift one's perspective in a way that no other art form is able to. It feels like we're standing on top of a fault line. There's energy in the landscape of media and entertainment that will unquestionably disrupt the ideas and preconceptions we have around what everyone expects from a piece of entertainment. Oh, and one brief thing before you go. If you happen to know anyone who works in theater or live events, would you consider telling them about the Emergination podcast? If you're listening right now, you probably at least suspect that immersive entertainment is going to significantly change the kind of things we think about doing on a Friday night. 
And for your friends, family, and colleagues that make their living on or around live entertainment, having a way to stay up to date with this inevitably disruptive wave that is immersive experience could realistically give them a meaningful edge in what they do. And of course, if you're listening, they would be in excellent company. Thanks, everyone. I hope you have a fantastic Friday.